Welcome to the Fulfilled Podcast. The podcast designed to spark fundraising inspiration for your nonprofit through thought-provoking interviews with world-leading fundraising experts. Fulfilled brings a unique interview style approach where we ask the most important questions of our expert guests to help nonprofits excel in their fundraising efforts. Feel inspired and feel fulfilled with knowledge so your nonprofit can continue to make a positive impact and create change for a better world. Hi everyone, Jake here from Fulfilled. Today I'm excited to be talking with monthly giving expert and president of a direct solution, Erica Wasdorp. Erica is an AFP master trainer, has previously been a US ambassador for the IFC, and is the author of popular fundraising book, Monthly Giving, The Sleeping Giant. Erica, welcome. Hi, Jake. So to get started, tell us about the beginning of your fundraising journey and what were some key lessons you learned in those early years? Okay, so I have been, um, you know, trained as a direct response person. Um, I started at Reader's Digest in the Netherlands. I'm, I'm uh, Dutch originally. So I uh, worked there and have been doing direct response uh, for a number of years. And then when I moved to the States now 27 years ago, I got involved with fundraising. So I really had not done anything in fundraising before that, uh, but I'd always done direct mail. So when I uh, started working for a big international animal organization uh, on Cape Cod in Massachusetts in uh, in the States, uh, I got involved with fundraising and um, I quickly, you know, really liked uh, the way it was all done, like through direct mail, uh, reaching out to donors. I mean, this was in the early 90s. So email really did not exist. I mean, online donations didn't exist. It was all direct mail and telemarketing and a little bit of like face-to-face fundraising, if you will. Um, so, so it was really felt good for me to say, oh, okay, I can make a difference to the animals by sending out these direct mail packages. Um, so that was kind of the beginning of it. And quickly, I took on their uh, monthly giving program. Uh, and really, really grew that. So, so some of the key lessons I learned in those years was uh, interesting because this was an international organization. So I learned that what works in the United States also works in the UK and Germany and Holland and France and Canada and even Australia. So, um, so those were a couple of countries where they were active. So that was fascinating. Again, so in other words, like universal rules, like people are people. And people respond to certain things that that you send them, right? Um, I mean, sometimes it, it it was a little bit of the messaging that changed, but that was definitely one thing that people are people, and people are motivated by you know certain messaging, certain images, and and um, and that that's just a, a general rule. Um, so so those were were just like uh, the, I think that was probably the biggest lesson. Um, and then uh, again, you just like growing fundraising by sending out certain appeals, like evaluating, you know, all of the things that that we do in direct mail that that works. It works in fundraising uh, as well. So it was a really good transition for me to go from from publishing to uh, to fundraising. There was a lot of synergy there, so I could apply a lot of the rules that I things that I've learned um, there. So 
Great. Well, a great way to start. And when you look back at your career, what stands out as one of your most successful campaigns and why was it successful? So, you know, I mean, I, I have to, I, if I say I, I get a boast, obviously, like a lot of my campaigns have been successful, right? Otherwise, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. But uh, I mean, I, so I worked at this international animal organization, and then I started working for uh, a direct response agency, working with all nonprofits. And then I started my own business 17 years ago. And one of the campaigns I did early on as, a, as part of my own business was working for a local library. And we did a uh, prospecting acquisition campaign, um, finishing up a, uh, a capital campaign. So they had an old building, they had um, fixed that all up and they needed to raise like $2 million. And the direct mail campaign at the end of that capital campaign was supposed to raise like $150,000. And, uh, and we raised it by going out, you know, with one direct mail campaign, we raised it and it was just like, just local in that town, but we were able to mail to pretty much everybody that had a home there and it worked phenomenal. I mean, the cost to raise a dollar was a penny. So, uh, so it was just a very, very, very successful uh, campaign. So I was really, really proud of that, but again, there's so many wonderful, successful campaigns where, you know, I've, I've helped organizations raise money for their mission and, and grow it. And I think that's, that's been, uh, been really exciting. And you're the founder and president of A Direct Solution, where you specialize in fundraising, planning, and execution, uh, and execution of direct mail and email campaigns from start to finish. With that, you also specialize in monthly giving campaigns, grant writing, events, and public relations. What are the biggest problems you see within fundraising teams when it comes to executing their DM appeals? So I think the, the biggest challenge I see right now is that um, a lot of people um, have more of like a social media digital background um and they don't necessarily know all the details that are involved in making sure that all of the pieces come together so um and also i think the fact that you know a direct mail campaign has a lead time right i think the the fastest campaign i've ever done took like 38 hours this was done after a disaster we got it in the mail, but the, but the envelopes had already been printed. So it was literally just getting a letter out in three hours. But typically you might look at like four to six weeks, sometimes even eight weeks, three months, right? It depends on what you're, uh, what you're sending out. So I think people need to understand that it all, all of the pieces have to come together. The printing of the elements of a direct mail campaign, an envelope, a reply envelope, a letter you know those things have to all be ready to go the data file you know who are you mailing to from your donor base that all has to be there when the print pieces are ready right so so i think having the scheduling and you know having all of those pieces come together i think that's the biggest challenge for people that are so used to saying well wait a minute um, I'm sending an email and I have results in five minutes, right? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't quite work that way. So I think it's a little bit of a mind shift that, that people have to go through and say, oh, I have to really plan this. So what I see a lot of times is people say, well, 
wait a minute, why can't this mailing go out next week? And it's like, well, because it takes time and the printer is busy and the mail house is busy. And, you know, so we can't just like, just because you forgot the plan doesn't mean that things are actually able to go out, you know, uh, when you want it to be. And, and like, you know, so I think that's sort of that, that immediate satisfaction. I mean, people have to kind of pull back a little and say, okay, well, it takes, it takes a little bit longer to plan all these things, but when they all come together and they go out, they generate response, right? So I think that's the, and they re generate a lot more response than digital uh, and email uh, alone. So, so again, I think that's, that's the other piece is like, uh, people don't necessarily know how to look at the analytics and evaluate the, you know, how, how much it's worth and how much, how it does. Um, so, so I think those are, those are a couple of uh, challenges that fundraising teams uh, tend to have if they're not used to doing direct mail. And before going into the main components of creating, creating an effective DM program, you start by conducting a di direct response audit. What goes into the process of creating these audits? Yeah, so, you know, so sometimes I call it like a formal direct response audit, but usually it's literally just taking a look and saying, okay, what have you done in the past? What did it look like? What were the elements? Which colors did you use? Which messaging did you use? Which photos did you use to, to uh, convey your message to your donors, right? And then we'll look at the results. Like, how did it do? Um, because sometimes people say, well, oh, you know, this direct mail piece is really expensive. I said, okay, well, how much did it cost you? Well, it was $5,000. Okay, how much money did you raise? Oh, $100,000. Well, that was a really successful campaign, right? So sometimes people just don't look at the right metrics. So part of that direct response audit is looking at like, well, uh, what, what were the metrics? Because sometimes people don't necessarily realize because they get so hung up on like, well, the cost of that is really, you know, so, um, so that's a big part of the, of the direct response audit as well, but it's especially looking at segmentation, uh, you know, what did they do and then make recommendations of what can you do better? What can you tweak? So one example is uh, what, what uh, I find, uh, and I don't know about in Australia, but in, in the U S especially like, um, you know, again donors are people right so and the more personal you can be the more it looks like somebody sat down and and personally addressed that donor the better off you are the more likely they're going to respond so one of the things i work with a lot is uh is is saying okay well who are your some of your top donors and yes you can send them a direct mail appeal but you can um add a little personal note to it before it goes out. So the printer and the mailhouse get it all ready, the whole package is there, but then it goes back to the organization, to the client, to the, uh, the, the fundraiser and say, okay, well, here are your 200, $250 plus donors, handwrite a personal note on it or have your board sit together and all write, handwrite a personal note to it and then send it out to the donor. And that really boosts response because somebody sat down and and did that so that extra personal touch can be done even with a direct mail appeal 
um, you know, in a, obviously in a smaller scale, but, um, but it, it really helps boost response. So that's just one little tweak that, that uh, I found a lot of times uh, it really, really works. Um, and again, the segmentation piece is like people say, uh, say a lot of times like, so I ask the question and say, well, when do you consider a last donor? Right, and a last donor in most cases is somebody who hasn't given in two years. That's what most organizations in this country consider a last donor. But what happens is they then say, okay, well, they haven't given in two years. I'm not going to appeal to them ever again. Well, that's wrong. Two years is too short because when you ask a donor, well, when's the last time, you know, are you, what do you think about this organization? And the donor says, oh, I love this organization. I give to them all the time. And you're almost like ready to look at them like, well, you haven't given it three years, you know? So, but that's because people forget, right? So, so if you drop them off the, the appeal list too soon, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get that donor to give again because you're not reaching out to them, right? So you have to be really, really careful to drop those, uh, those lapsed donors out too soon. So I always recommend at least like doing a lapsed, um, including your lapsed donors uh, once a year. And that's in this country, in the US, that's like usually at the end of the year, like October, November, December timeframe. So, so that's just one, one little tweak again that you can make to say, hey, because I, obviously don't, you know, organizations are, are worried about like, where, where can I find new donors? when they're sitting in a pool with a pool of all these lapstones that they haven't reached out to in, in years, right? So, and I've, I've done a campaign where I was able to, um, to segment them. And I mean, they had uh, donors who had not given in six years and responded 5%, which is like great, right? I mean, there was a group of people that hadn't given in three to five years that responded with 9% response rate. So, but they just had not reached out to them. And yet they were still active. They were still, you know, um, they still cared about the organization, so. That's, that's, that's great advice there. And what components make up an effective multi-channel direct to mail program? It's, it's really, uh, uh, you know, making sure that the messaging is consistent. And I find too many times that, um, you know, the direct mail appeal talks about Johnny and the website talks about Jane and they're two different things. Like Johnny needs to go to school and needs a backpack and Jane is, you know, um, I don't know, she, she is homeless or whatever. I mean, it depends a little bit on the organization, obviously, but you have two messages that that don't jive as opposed to if you do it right, you want to have the direct mail appeal talk about Johnny and then the website talks about Johnny and then the social media talk about Johnny, right? So it's all like, oh yeah, I saw that in the mailing I just got. Oh, and then I got an email follow-up and it talks about Johnny. So it's consistent, right? So I find that that's uh, sometimes a little bit of a disconnect. So people are just confused, like, well, what, what's this organization all about? And okay, so I'm getting this direct mail, but you know, so, so I think that's like uh, one thing that people could do better, like saying, okay, if we're doing a direct mail campaign, this is the message, let's do an email follow-up, let's do another email follow-up, let's make sure that the website and the social media are supporting all of that. That's when you have the most 
powerful multi-channel campaign. So, so it's like all of the elements need to come together. Um, and if I have a say in it, I try to help to make sure that that happens. So a lot of times I take the direct mail appeal and then we make an email version of it. And then, you know, it goes out and gets um, distributed through social media channels as well. So the imaging and, and all of that. Donation page, all of that talks about Johnny. The thank you letter all talks about Johnny. So it's all like, oh yeah, I remember I gave to support, you know, to give Johnny a backpack, you know, something like that. Yeah, great. And how do you ensure fundraising teams calculate the ROI for their DM programs? Well, I, you know, again, if I have a say in it, if I'm involved, if I work with a client, I, I really help them uh, look at results. I prepare the results for them and we talk about it. And, and there's a bit literally just a column of saying, okay, well, here's, here's the cost to raise a dollar. And then here's the, the return on investment of the campaign. So again, uh, to the example I mentioned earlier, if it costs you $5,000 to mail maybe 2,500 donors and you're raising $100,000, then you know, the return on investment is like one to, is 20 to one, right? So uh, cost to raise a dollar is like five cents. So that's really, really good. Um, I don't know about Australia, but in this country right now, the cost to raise a dollar for direct mail appeals to donors is on average 20 cents. So the return on investment is five to one for existing donors. So once you have a donor and you mail them an appeal, I mean, the cost to raise a dollar is 20 cents, return on investment five to one. Where do you get that in the stock market? Nowhere, right? So, um, so that's, that's just one thing. And then if you can boost that by getting some digital uh, efforts and emails to, you know, to follow up, you're, you're raising even more money. Right. So again, you're optimizing. You've already done the messaging. Um, you're just optimizing, repurposing, making sure that it all ties together. Um, but what are some key differences between, say, a DM and email between offline and offline uh, online channels? Uh, well, obviously, like it's uh, it's a lot easier to respond uh, with an email campaign uh, as long as you have the buttons in there and and or the links to the to the page. Uh, you know, sometimes I I find that organizations almost make it too complicated to donate. So they're you know, like I, I saw an email yesterday from an organization and it asks for money, but then there's no donate button. In the email, so you've just lost an opportunity, right? So, um, so, so I think that's like so you need to make sure that that an email has repetition in it. It has, uh, a, you know, like links to the uh, to the online giving page uh, and straight to the page. Don't send them to the website first, where they have to look for where they have to go to donate. Just like literally, like uh, link right to the uh, donation page. Um, so obviously you have that advantage uh, in email, um, and and again you can track it. You can see you know which people went to your online page but didn't fulfill their um, their donation, right? You see that. So there's a lot of people that click on a donation page but then don't continue, but you can go back to them, right? Sort of the abandoned cart message that you can follow up on. Um, so those are some advantages of email, but the problem is that 
you don't have email addresses for all of your donors. So direct mail is, so I recommend you send the direct mail at first, and then two weeks after you know that the direct mail has hit the homes and, and donors may have looked at it, that's when you do an email follow-up to optimize like, oh yeah, I saw that letter. Geez, I haven't responded to it yet. Now I can click on the email and make a donation or I can send in my check using the envelope that goes in the mailing. Um, but together it drives that overall response. And sometimes people say, oh yeah, I'm not ready to click on that page yet, but I'm gonna send in the check. So what you see is that direct mail is a big driver of online gifts right now. And um, again, but online is still, in this country anyhow, it's about 10%, it's close to 10% now of all giving, right? So, um, so 90% still comes in offline. Um, so this is just something to, to remember. It's like, it's just a small portion of your overall giving. So, but direct mail and online together work really, really well. And I see that uh, when people send out a direct mail campaign, I recommend they have a special URL, a special link that they can track that it came from that appeal that's unique to that appeal. And if they measure that, they see that it's about 10 to 15% of people who got the mail piece go online to, uh, to make the gift. That's, those are some of the, the statistics we're seeing right now. And uh, another area you specialize in is creating successful monthly giving programs. Uh, so what's the difference between a DM audit and a monthly giving audit? Well, the direct mail audit is looking at what they've done in terms of direct mail. The monthly giving audit is looking at like, what have they done um, with their monthly giving program? How have they, how, how many monthly donors do they have? How have they come in? Um, are they online? Are they offline? Um, you know, right now the bulk of, of sustainers of monthly donors come in online because um, it's just so much easier to generate, but it depends a little bit. Some of the organizations that started with monthly giving early on, like the organization I was working with, we only had mail, we only had telemarketing, we had face-to-face, -face, right? So, so those were the channels that monthly donors were generated through. And now online and social media, you know, Facebook ads driving people to the website have been, have been added to that. So I just look at where are their monthly donors coming from? What is their, you know, average gift? What's the value? Again, this is something too that um, when you talk about ROI, people are like, you know, one of my questions when I do webinars or, or when I speak with people is like, okay, how many monthly donors do you have? All right, well, 20. Okay, so well, what's their what's their value? Oh, it's like, you know, 23 bucks a month, you know, something like that. So I say, well, okay, well, that the, the annual value then is X, right? Oh, wow, that's a lot of money, right? So they don't necessarily realize how much money they're already getting from their monthly donors if they annualize, right? So those are a couple of things that I look at in monthly giving audit. And then I also look and say, well, how many donors do you have? What percentage of your monthly donors are, what percentage of your donors are giving monthly right now? How could we tweak that? How many donors do you have who give two times a year, three times a year, four times a year? So that's your prime target group, right? To generate new monthly donors from. So, so those are uh, some additional things that I look at uh, in terms of like, what is the potential 
for your monthly giving? What channels are you using? Where can we fit in? Where can we add some, some things to, to generate new monthly donors? To give you an example, I work with an organization, it's an animal organization, and uh, they had a huge number of donors. They had close to a million donors in their database. And when I asked like, well, how many monthly donors do you have? Guess what? Guess how many monthly donors they had? Oh, uh, to my 1%. Okay, well, m even much worse than that. They had 50 monthly donors out of this huge file, 50 monthly donors, right? And they said, well, their agency had never, they, the agency that they had before had never promoted it, right? So, so now, a couple of months later, they have 350 monthly donors, right? Still not millions, still not thousands, but we're on our way. And we did that by just looking at two little things. We added a tick box to every reply form that they're sending out in the mail and says, make this a monthly gift. So every, every mailing has a tick box uh, on it. And every email has a second button that says, make this a monthly gift. And that's how they were able to grow with at virtually no expense, right? Using some of the tools and some of the channels that they were already using, right? So those are just a couple of things that, um, that we were able to, to implement pretty quickly after just doing a, a really uh, basic uh, monthly giving audit, if you will. Um, so, so it doesn't always have to be very elaborate, right? And uh, yeah, it's going on um, 10.30 here, but even my brain couldn't even work out how many zeros would be involved in trying to work out the percentage of uh, 50 donors out of a million yeah. at this time of the evening. So yeah, it's like not, it's definitely less than 1%. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. So for yeah. that organization, you, you did touch on it quite briefly and there might've been other components, but where do you begin when you're starting to incorporate a monthly giving program into your fundraising strategy? Well, I think that the, the biggest, the, the first step is that you have to have the mindset to say, yes, I want to grow my monthly donor program, right? I think that's the key. So, because I find that sometimes people are like, yeah, I kind of want to try it and see how it goes. You know, it's like, no, 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 you have to have the mindset. Now, the good news is that you have the tools. So, you know, when I started monthly giving, again, online didn't exist, you know, so it was much harder. It only had to be done by mail. Now you have that online page that has the monthly gift option built in. It's already there. Your donor base can handle it. Your, your payment processor is already there, right? So that part, you have no excuse not to do it, really. So, um, so that's, that's one. So you can, you can absolutely um, implement it. So just look at your tools and say, Hey, this year we're going to go all out. We're really going to grow our monthly giving program. And you know, like uh, one of my uh, clients says, we're going to make it a thing, right? Let's make monthly giving a thing, right? So, and and that's that's the first step is having that mindset. The other step is um, that you have to have somebody in charge, somebody that is making that a thing and saying, I'm going to track it, I'm going to promote it, I'm going to push it. I'm gonna be in charge of it. Doesn't mean that you have to do everything yourself, but you have to be able to track it. So in other words, when I ask you, 
Hey, how did you do? How many new monthly donors did you bring in last week? You had the answer. Hey, how many monthly donors dropped out last month? You have the answer, right? So somebody needs to have that answer in, and that's, that's key. And again, I work with a lot of different organizations and where things start falling through the cracks is because there's not one person in charge. So monthly giving really needs somebody in charge. That's going to be the driver, right? Um, so having the mindset, having the driver, and then one of the other um, key things is that you need to always be sharing the results of your monthly giving campaigns by annualizing the revenue. So in other words, if you have 100 monthly donors who give you $25 a month, which is on average in this country, uh, the, the monthly gift, so $25 a month, right? $300 a year, 100 monthly donors, so you have like $30,000, right? Um, so that starts like, oh, wow. Okay, that starts sounding really powerful, right? So you always have to be sharing with other people in your organization what the value is of those monthly donors because people that don't deal with they think oh these are just like little donors oh, it's not just 25 bucks well it's what's the big deal well it's thirty thousand dollars a year oh well that's a grant or that you know so i can hire part-time staff for that right so uh, i can do a lot with that money right so people are like all of a sudden starting to take notice right um so so what, what one of my clients also said, well, they saw the biggest change in growth was when they made monthly giving its own budget item so that people could always see what the value was and how it was growing, right? So those are just a couple of, uh, of key things that I think people should, should look at implementing, making it, making, having the right mindset by making it a thing, having its own budget item and having one person in charge that looks at the budget items and shares it within the organization. You mentioned tools before. What are the most important tools needed to um, effectively implement a monthly giving program? Well, the, the, the biggest tool is you have to have a website and you have to have an online giving um, page. So, and, and, 99.9% .9 of organizations has that, right? So, uh, and then, you know, you need to make sure that, that your donor base is tracking, um, you know, your, your monthly gifts and that, uh, that, again, you can track it as well. And that also that the tool that you have, the payment processor is actually charging the gift, right? Um, but like I said, nowadays, 99% of all online giving pages can handle monthly gifts, charge the monthly gift, so, um, and it in integrates in your donor base in some way, shape, or form. So, um, I'm, and again, I'm not dismissing the fact that sometimes tools can be a little bit, feel a little bit challenging, um, but, it's it's a matter of like again the more motivated you are to grow it to to understand it to 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 you know again improve your your monthly donor program because it's it's like such a valuable uh, thing especially now where we're all in this coronavirus right you know so monthly giving is like a, a really great uh, insurance policy um, that keeps your organization could keep your organization going right so. 
So the tools are, are there, um, you already have them, you're already getting one-time donations, now you wanna get monthly gifts from that, right? So, um, so I think that's the, that's the it, it's not hard and it doesn't cost more money. You don't have to go and change what you're using right now. I, I hear people say, well, maybe I should change what I have now. And it, the, the, a lot of times it's like, well, you're pr you have to look at what you have now first and optimize that uh, and, and see what you, what you can do because maybe you haven't asked the right questions. So, um, you know, and again, we can do a whole webinar on, on obviously that, but it's just a, uh, sometimes it's, it's literally that. So sometimes people are like, well, maybe we should change what we have. No, 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 let's look at what you have now. What is it that you can do? What is it that you can't do? And then uh, evaluate, so. Um, but you have the tools, you have it. Doesn't cost you any more money. Um, just another question that uh, stemmed off um, your last response as well about having someone in charge of a monthly giving program. And in your experience, what have been some key traits of a successful leader in that area? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I wrote a blog about it, actually, because it, it's kind of, I think the key traits of, of somebody who can get excited and, and can really track and be in charge of uh, monthly giving is somebody that's not um, afraid of problems and is willing to solve them. So you got to have this problem solving mindset, I think. Um, and it's, it's typically somebody who's, it's not necessarily about the creative, but it's more about um operations if you will so you got to be willing to to maybe pick up the phone and talk to a tech person or talk to your donor based company and willing to say well hey i've got this issue that i'm seeing can we solve it somehow right um so so it's more like an operations mindset a, a systems a you know, a little bit more analytical, I think, than, than having a totally creative brain. I think if you have somebody who's got the creative brain who can come up with the messaging uh, and do the emails and the social media and the mailings, um, but work with somebody who's willing to get in into the weeds and saying, hey, you know, I've got this donor, I'm willing to call them. They, you know, they stop giving. I'm willing to to give them a phone call to uh, to see if they want to come back. And you know, so so those are a couple of things that you you need to be a little bit more analytical systems and um, uh, you know maybe a little bit more focused than uh, than somebody who's like, yeah, let's do some creative stuff. You know, so um, yeah, but it's nice to um, but again having that right mindset is uh, is there. And there's going to be problems no matter what. So you want to want, want to be able to solve problems. You're also the author of the um, popular fundraising book, Monthly Giving the Sleeping Giants. So why did you write this and what can fundraisers expect to learn from reading this? Yeah, so I wrote it um, because I was walking at a conference in the days that we were walking at conferences. <laughs> and uh, and I, knew, I was looking, they had a bookstore. And I said, well, there's all these books about major gifts and grants and annual giving, but nothing on monthly giving. Maybe I should write it. So, um, so, so I did. It took me about two years. And um, 
Uh, so I, I wrote it in 2000, the end of 2012. Uh, and just lots of case studies and, um, you know, like different channels and, and all that. And again, that this was even in the days before social media was very, very actively um, growing. Um, and email was just sort of starting a little bit. So, um, so I'm working on an updated uh, book right now, but um, I'm busy, so it's, it takes it takes a while. So, um, but I think it, the the most important thing is is again, it's talking about you know the willingness to to work with uh, departments and and get rid of silos and say monthly giving is important, and you know everybody's got to have their uh, their mindset on on growing it. So that's a that's a big step, but. Yeah, I, it addresses, the book addresses all of the different channels that you can use. And, and it even has like telemarketing scripts in it and, uh, you know, like has analytics in it. Like how do you evaluate, you know, monthly giving success and, and lots and lots of examples and, and uh, uh, creative and, and things like that in it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, obviously I highly recommend you read it, but <laughs> so, um, you know, so that's, that's a, uh, uh, that's what they what they can learn is that monthly giving is important and um, it's valuable and uh, and it's 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 something that I think everybody should have in place. And the reality is, with this pandemic, those organizations that have monthly donors, they are in much less of a pickle than those organizations that don't have them. So. And you are also the uh, U.S. ambassador for the International Fundraising Congress, the IFC, for five years, and you're a AFP master trainer as well. How have these commitments helped develop you as a fundraiser? Yeah, so so the IFC, again, you know, for, for me, I was I'm Dutch, right? So uh, and I worked with an organization that had you know fundraising offices in multiple countries. So I've always loved the international piece of it. Um, so. So when they asked me to become the ambassador, uh, it was a great way for me, number one, to get to see home and, you know, go home and, and visit my home country and visit my family. So um, so that was a nice perk of it. But it was also a great way to learn, you know, like international fundraising some more and, and get to know people, you know, internationally that, that raise funds internationally. So that was just more like a personal um advantage and in, in a way for me to give back to uh, to the fundraising community because it was like help I was helping promote the IFC conference for Amer to Americans so that was that was great um, and then um, the the AFP master trainer was just a way to say okay I'm always I am looking to improve myself I'm looking to learn right and I want to be a better presenter I'm, you know, so I was like looking for a way to how can I do that? How can I be a better trainer? How can I be a better presenter? And, and the AFP Master Training Program is a two-day program that helps you understand how people learn and how you can help um, train them better, which in a way that I never really thought about doing that by, you know, giving more exercises or, you know, fun things to do that, that uh, I'd never thought about before. So again, it helped me, I think, become a better trainer um, than, than I was before. So. 
You chose a career path in consulting and training fundraising teams and nonprofit organizations. How have you found this pathway more rewarding and how can other aspiring fundraising leaders start putting processes in place for a similar and successful career? Great question again. Um, you know, my path to consulting, you know, was because, you know, I, I worked at a nonprofit, I worked at an agency, and I came across like a lot of the smaller nonprofits that couldn't afford the agency prices, the big agency prices. So I said, okay, well, maybe there's a niche. So, so that's where I got in because I wanted to help organizations raise more money. Uh, and I also, you know, wanted to have my own business. I mean, I, I, I had that sort of the entrepreneurial spirit, if you will, because you have to do everything yourself, right? So I'm not a very big, uh, big agency. I never wanted to be big. I wanted purposely be small and be able to keep the prices small for organizations. Um, so I work with all freelancers. Um, and that's, that's kind of my model. Um, and it, it's just great and rewarding to be able to help organizations raise more money. So if they can go from $5,000 to $10,000 or from $20,000 to $40,000, I mean, that's a big deal, right? So, um, so that's what I help do. I, and I, I think part of that is I also help people in organizations, I think, understand direct mail better, understand monthly giving better by by almost taking them by the hand. So I think it's almost like if after a couple of years an organization says, hey, I can do this on my own now, great. I have trained them to be able to do that, right? So um, obviously I would like to keep them, but at some point they might say, hey, you know, I know exactly what to do because Erica taught me how to do it, right? So, um, so I think that's kind of rewarding to say, okay, well, the organizations are able to get their direct mail out and, and I help them raise the money that they need for, for their mission. I think that's, that's a reward that I have. Um, and I think as a consultant, you're not just working for one organization. You get to see multiple organizations. So I can apply what I learned from an animal organization here to an organization somewhere else in a different part of the country, right? So um, especially if you work with like local or regional organizations, there's no competition between the, the two. So I can sort of like apply my learning um, and, and make it better for, uh, for multiple organizations. So, uh, so I, I, I mean, I'm having a lot of fun by it and I'm just loving my job. So it's just really, really rewarding to see and evaluate the results and, and get to, you know, say, Oh, wow, this is great. We, we did another successful campaign and the client is happy. We're happy. And, you know, so everybody's happy. Right. And, and that's, and, and ultimately the, people or the patients or the, you know, the animals that are served by those organizations are happier and, and safe and sound and all of that. So, so that's, that's really what, what matters. So, um, so it, in terms of like, how do you put a successful, uh, you know, put that in place for others? It's, and I get, I get calls from people saying, Hey, I'm thinking about a consultant or, Hey, I just lost my job. And, you know, considering this, we think, so I'm willing to help them have a call and say, well, this, this one book um, that I wish I had um, 
had had when I started as a as a consultant. Um, it's called the the uh, consulting playbook. It's a charity channel book, and uh, and it's written by by consultants that that have been consulting for more than ten years. So all of their learning is is in that book. So um, so I start say we'll start there, and then um, just you know um, I talk them through the process. I mean I wrote a business plan, help them. I share that, and you know so. So I'm always willing to help uh, other consultants to, uh, um, you know, to to do that. Um, obviously, we need a mix of consultants and nonprofits, right? So so we can't all be consultants, but um, there's there's a place for them. Um, but you have to be willing to be, work hard too. It's like it's hard work. I mean, it's definitely not a nine to five job. So if you want to look at a nine to five job, don't become a consultant because that's not the way it works. It's a seven day a week job. So, um, but I'm loving it. So that's great to hear. And you're doing great work. And is there anything you're working towards next in the fundraising profession? Um, you know, I, again, I, I, I'd love to write some more books, some more how to move books, um, very practical and, uh, and, and do more training. Um, but I guess right now I have the best of all worlds. I work with the organizations hand on and I love that. I love working with clients. I don't want to be a consultant that just does training. Um, but having that mix is like, I learn from clients. I can apply that in my training, you know, so, so it's a really, uh, really nice, uh, nice mix. Um, so again, I, I'm, you know, I'm learning every day. Um, and I think that's the key. So if I stop learning, then it's probably time to hang up my hat, but, um, but I'm not there yet. I'm learning every day. But I think the other thing is like, I'm also saying, I'm very clear, like, that's not what I do. I'm not a social media expert. I need to tap into that, right? I'm, you know, and I think if you hear from a consultant that says I can do everything, I don't think that's the right consultant for you, right? So, cause I don't think you can do everything right. So you gotta, you gotta specialize. So I, I'm willing to stay small and focus on direct mail and monthly giving. And, and that's my passion and, and that's what you get. So. Oh, that's great to hear. Well, we're down to the final question. I just wanted to say quickly, it's, um, it's been great to hear about your experience and all the advice that you've shared for our viewers today. So I'd say thank you for coming on today. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. What's your final piece of advice to inspire and fulfill fundraisers to make a positive impact and create change for a better world? I think the, the, the biggest piece of advice I would have is feel good about the fact that you are a fundraiser. So you're doing great work. So, so kind of like have this positive, um, you know, thing, whether it's on your, on your wall or something saying, yes, it's great to be a fundraiser and it's okay to ask for money because without money, you can't make a difference. And, you know, to the people, the patients, the animals, whoever, the organization you work at. So, um, so I think that's, that's the, the key thing is like, it's, it's great to ask for money. It's okay to ask for money. It's what you have to do, but it's also because you're making a difference um, by doing it. So um, I think that's the, the key thing. It's like really, you know, in, and show your passion and your donors will see it. Your donors will read it. 
Um, you know, so so I think that's the that's the key is like, um, but feel good about what you do, right? So I think that's that's what keeps you going, right? So.